Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As I'm speaking with my mother, or as I call her, Hoya were sitting in the back seat of her small brown four-wheel drive in Moktesho, Somalia. Whenever I return to Moktesho, Hoya gives me a grand tour of the city. It gives us time to rehash the old and reflect on what's new. The first time she guided me through Moktesho was in 2014, three years after she moved back and 23 years after she initially moved away. The guards open the gates to the compound, and we ease onto the newly paved street. Mukdisho is as unpredictable as it is home, so we always ask around and check the pulse of the city before we make a move. There's a thick tension, a passive alertness, as the adjacent cars swerve around us, rushing to pass through the checkpoint ahead. It's bumper-to-bumper traffic. Several lanes merge into one, and the vehicles flood the single checkpoint like streams of water moving through a funnel. As we wait to proceed, neighborhood kids tap on the tented windows of the car. Laag isotur. Send me some money. It's now our turn, and Uncle Ali rolls down the window to pass Hoya's ID badge to the officer. Through his window, the dust of the city enters and collects on his dashboard. So good. Goodbye, goodbye. Hello, so good. Hoya and I are finally waved through the checkpoints, and it's time to begin our ritual. Moktisho isn't Hoya's birthplace. That would be Beit Dabo, the lush agricultural town where she was raised with her nine siblings on her father, Adin's farm. Nor did Hoya get to spend much of her adult life in Moktisho. When she was 18, she left to study architecture in Italy. And when the war erupted in 1991, she built a whole new life in North America. However, Moktisho will always be the city of her youth. So it's unsurprising that when Hoya guides me through the city, it feels unfinished. Her anecdotes are part fact, part imaginative reconstruction. In the backseat of our car, the past and the present collide. And Hoya's memories of Muktisho are confronted by a violent history and the rubble that lies beneath her feet. We drive through Bondere, the heart of the city. This used to be my elementary school. We make our way through the ancient quarter of Shingani, 
That was the cinema where we used to watch all the films. We enter Hodan and Hoya perks up. That's where your father and I got married. She points out what these places used to be, as Mokdisho is a city much changed in her absence. In the car, driving through town, she reanimates the memories again. Today we're retracing our steps back to Mokdisho to uncover what happens to a dream deferred, to a dream undone. This is On Things We Left Behind, a podcast by me, Surer, and my sister, Seredo. On today's episode, The Architect, we're speaking to our mother, who we call Hoya, about the life she envisioned, the life she left behind, and the life she learned to rebuild, piece by piece. This version of today's episode has my sister Sarado translating Hoya's responses from Somali to English. If you want to hear Hoya speaking in her own voice in Somali, make sure to listen to the other version of this episode wherever you find your podcasts. From an early age, Hoya had a picture of what her life would become. She'd graduate from the Technical Institute of Muktisho, do a year of national service, which was mandatory at the time, then go to university in Italy to study architecture. And though leaving Mokdisho was always part of the plan, she always knew she'd find her way back when it was time to start her real life, her adult life. Hoy describes the 70s in Mokdisho as a period of afros, waist belts, and flared pants. That time, I can still picture it clearly after all this time, We lived in a society within a society. Her experience of the city wasn't everybody's. Not everyone remembers what the cinemas were like in the old stone town. This was a very tailored experience for those who had the means to enjoy it. But there were many like her who saw the city this way. Our study was Italian. We studied in the Italian education system, but we still lived in Somali society. We were Somali. We still did things our own way. When we'd have parties, just living our lives, we did things in our own way. That was the greatest era of my life. It was a beautiful time in our life. Some of Hoya's greatest memories of Muktisho happened at a time that the city and the country transformed drastically. In 1969, she witnessed a revolution, a military coup that changed the course of the country forever. In 1974, the Somali written language was standardized and Hoya participated in a rural literacy campaign that saw thousands of students sent into the countryside for months. While Hoya witnessed the city change before her eyes, her vision of what her place would be in that city remained. After graduating high school, Hoya moved to Florence, Italy to study architecture. Her love affair with Muktisho could only be rivaled by her vision of Florence. Like, I'm fulfilling my dream in a Mar Somalia on Italia. Everybody's. It felt like I was fulfilling my dream to leave Somalia at last and go to Italy. It was a lot of people's dream. 
but especially mine. So the family sent me, and I went to Italy. You're living alone now. You're independent. The family isn't constantly monitoring you. You can essentially do whatever you want. And this often sets people apart, how they react to that level of responsibility. There's two paths. You can go this path, or you can take that path. I did my studies, went out with friends. We did everything. On weekends, we'd go to the disco. My family would come and visit. MashaAllah, we, we had a good time. I had a good time. She used to wear these loose trousers rolled at the cuff. Patterned blouses, short, bouncing curls set with hair rollers. She captured these looks with this black Olympus film camera, developing the photos in huge batches. Every now and then, we pull out those pictures to get a sense of what those times were like. To this day, photos are incredibly important to Hoyo. They're more than memories. They're proof of life. When I was 10 years old, the fire alarm went off in our apartment building. Hoya ushered my sister and I into the hallway and had us exit with our neighbors. As tenants cleared the building, they collected at the bottom, but there was still no sight of Hoya. Where is she? Minutes later, she appeared in the crowd with a crate full of belongings. At the top, clothes for my sister and I. Under that, my father's briefcase filled with passports and documents. At the bottom, supporting this all, the very first things she flung into the bucket. Photo albums. All her photo albums. Every now and then, we'll sit through the photos and we'll see a familiar face. The face of Abo, our father, scattered through the pages of their wedding album. Hoya and Abo were married in 1990, a year before the civil war broke out in Moltisho. In that same year, me and your dad decided to get married, and we sent all of our stuff to Somalia. We had our wedding, and everyone came. MashaAllah. The family set everything up for us. We were ready. And we had our house ready in Somalia, too. Before she could start her married life in Moqtisho, she had to finish her thesis in Italy, so she went back. But when she left, she had no clue it would be her last time in Somalia for decades. A lot of people recall the moment that set everything into motion. The day they became a person that used to be from somewhere. For Hoya, this was the moment that Abba called from Moktisho, only four months after she had left. I got a call on a Sunday. They just said, Moktisho is burning, Somalia is burning. The city's in ashes. Still, it was like a surreal dream that I still haven't woken up from. And that's the day that our entire world's turned upside down. She knew that there were shots fired, but she couldn't grasp the magnitude of what was coming. Civil war. I didn't even know it was a civil war at the time, only that there was some fighting between the government and some people. Hoya had no clue what to think. She didn't know what we know now. She didn't know and many people didn't, even as it was happening, that the war over the capital city would tear it apart with the government of Somalia as the first casualty. It was hard for many people to digest what was happening, even as it was happening. Communication became a luxury commodity, so loved ones on the outside were left waiting with bated breath for word. 
No one knew what all this would mean in the end. No one still does. What can you think when your hometown is engulfed in flames? What even crosses your mind in that moment? Where is my family? Where are my people? Where is my husband? Where is my stuff? And that's when I got a hold of a telephone and I talked to Abu, as in your dad, Qasim, and my sister, Amina. And they were both like, don't worry, it's just small fighting between the government and some people. And then, boom, that's the last time we spoke for a whole month. After 28 days, only then did I find out where everyone was. And then the rest is history. The only thing more painful than a loved one dying is not knowing whether your loved one has died already. 28 days of silence. Oh my goodness. You don't know if your loved ones have died. You don't know who's alive. Some people would tell you that they saw your family fleeing from random places and it was just rumors, completely false. But alhamdulillah, a lot of people got out. And the ones that were saved, saved others. Her brother-in-law finally called from Nairobi, ending her 28 days of torturous silence. He was in Nairobi and everyone was safe. For now, everyone was in limbo. At the end of the day, it was all about saving the people that you love. And in my family, the first priority was protecting the girls. At this point, your dad was already on a boat to Kenya, and we kept in contact. But so many people were exiled. Like, imagine. From this to this. But it wasn't easy leaving. Leaving requires money, resources, networks. And Hoy's family was lucky. They had all of those things. Alhamdulillah, God made it easier for us. Imagine the people that couldn't leave. I mean, at least for us, we lived near the airport, we had the means to leave, to run. Imagine the people that didn't have the chance. Getting people out became a full-time project for Hoya. She put her thesis on hold and got to work saving the family. She had more pressing matters to attend to now. She was the second youngest of the family, once the apple of her father's eye. Back when things were different, her elder sisters used to travel to Italy and gift her with new wardrobes. Now, the little sister had to make sure that everyone was alive, safe, had papers, and was taken care of. And she had to do it from thousands of miles away. The responsibility and the expectation on you are huge. I mean, you're a part of something. You're a part of a whole family who's relying on you now. When I say your family, it's not just your parents who need you. It's your siblings, their children, your aunts, everyone who helped raise you. The least you can do for them is finding a way to send $100 or whatever you can get, or collect money because so-and-so needs money or so-and-so needs a ticket. It's a lot of things. You'll completely forget about your own life because you're completely consumed in keeping your family alive. And I'm not saying that I was doing it alone. There were a lot of people in the same position that I was in that were eager to help. But the decision-making, the logistics, the tasks, it was all survival mode. And no one has experience with dealing with this kind of thing. But alhamdulillah, as a family, God made it easier. When you're in survival mode, 
sometimes you can't step back to take stock of what's really happening. That the world you knew is dissolving right before your very eyes. It's not about tomorrow or yesterday. It's about today, here, now. When asked if she could have imagined how bad the fighting was, Hoy said, Absolutely not. I couldn't wrap my mind around the idea that a war of this scale could break out and we could be dealing with it for 30 plus years. At first, I said to myself, it'll take a month or two or even three. It wasn't until the family completely packed up and left that I started to realize, and the situation just kept getting worse. All of Mokdisho was imploding. Somalia was in flames. So no, I never could have imagined this happening, or that it would have lasted this long. It took four months before Hoya realized, this isn't just a small conflict. This isn't a rough patch. These are our new lives. What Hoya initially thought would be a few bad days, weeks, months, became a few bad years, a few bad decades. Though everyone was in a rush to leave, my grandmothers and some of my older aunts didn't. The older women refused to leave. Hoya's older sister, Amina, arranged for everyone to get on a plane. She then got them on the flight, and when her last sister was on, Amina stepped off and waved to them from the tarmac. She refused to leave. She wouldn't leave. Her life was in Somalia. Her home was Somalia. I mean, where would you go? Her property, her belongings, I mean, what you take, what you leave. If the whole family had to leave, someone has to stay to safeguard what's left. But it's your life, your whole life. It's someone telling you to run away with the only dress on your back. You can't take everything. You can't leave everything. Older people can't accept running away from everything they've built overnight. It's not just a property. It's, it's where you belong, what you are. Because going to the unknown is difficult. You don't know where you'll end up. And then the person that stays, they're not just doing it for themselves. Older people have a hundred people that are reliant on them that they have to take care of. Would you leave your brother? Would you leave your family? So when me and all my siblings ran, it was my mother who stayed to take care of the extended family back home because she couldn't leave them. That's why a lot of older people refused to leave, even if they had the means to go. But things look different for the younger people. What they're leaving behind isn't what they've built already. It's the possibilities of what they could have in the future. And for some people, embarking on the start of their adult lives, there are many maybes that they had to run from. When Hoya was coordinating the rescues of her siblings and nieces and nephews, she realized that she wouldn't be able to rescue her house. She was a newlywed who had just set up a home for when she got to go back. She sent all of her worldly possessions back home. That home, decorated for the first time for her new family, she never got to live in. Everything that was in my house, every single thing, 
my books, my blues records, my big vinyl discs. I sent everything to that house. We decided to decorate the entire house in black and white decor. So imagine, we took everything there. When I was leaving, I took out a few items for your dad to use temporarily and locked all the fancy things away in storage for us to use together when I got back. I never see back that <laughs> And I never saw any of that stuff again. And I have no idea where it went. There were also the intangible things that changed around her. At the time, Hoya was in Italy. But the Italy she knew, that she moved to and felt comfort in, began to feel strange as well. She was no longer a student here. She was a refugee. The people that used to be your friends, even the ones you used to hang out with, they can't understand your new reality. Did they change? No. Are they insensitive? No. Your circumstances have changed. From this to this. The Italians that I knew had some awareness that the war happened, but didn't know anything about what that meant. And I can't blame them. Because that's how I used to think before it happened to me. I didn't know what war was either. Before that point, I remember seeing old Eritrean people in Italy and wondering what they were doing there. Why they didn't just retire in their own country with their own people. Now I understand. Unless it happens to you, you can't understand the consequences of war and what it means. Hoy's life became a series of loose ends. Things she put down and never picked back up. And this didn't just change Hoya's everyday personal life. It changed everything that she could be in the future. Urban planners, they have to plan. Suddenly, Somalia became a place you couldn't plan for anymore. That's That's also the day that my thesis fell apart. I was writing about Somali-Ethiopian refugees that were crossing the border into Somalia to seek asylum. My project was about settling these refugees. And then, all of a sudden, we became refugees. All of us. And so, I chose another subject. It took some time to get out of the pace of day-to-day survival. So, it took about a year to find everyone, get them sorted, and find a place for them. And suddenly, life began to change. Florence, Italy, 1993. The year that I was born. One of the things my mother never told me, that I never understood until talking to her now, was how lonely the experience was for her. When I got pregnant, we were so happy. Like it was my first child. But we never thought that we would give birth in Italy or abroad. You know, when you're getting married, you imagine what it's going to be like. When you give birth, you picture your mother holding your hand, your sister standing by your side, people lined up in the hallway. But no, it was just me and Qasim. When I was going to the doctor for checkups, I used to cry. Like, where are all my people? Where did everybody go? I'm here by myself. And the Italian patients have their aunts and their grandmas and everybody they know surrounding them when they're giving birth. Once, the sense of isolation brought Hoya to tears. It was my dad who reminded her that if she was giving birth in Somalia, she would have been surrounded by friends and family and well-wishers. This is the only thing that calmed her. 
the fault was not with her, but with her circumstances. It's so emotional. Because nothing is happening how you imagined it. All the things you used to see, like the traditions for new moms back home, none of it is happening. You're in a small room with a random doctor, pregnant, taking the bus to go home. It's how you used to live when you were a student. And now you're supposed to have a kid this way? All those traditions, those ways that pregnant mothers were cared for, that she grew up expecting would be done for her one day, the women in her life who would have done that for her were the ones she was tasked with rescuing from thousands of miles away. And here she was. She was going to be a mother for the first time. And she had to find a way to do it without them. She wasn't alone, but she was lonely. You're on your own. And now you're starting a family. And on top of that, you don't have a steady job. You don't know what your future holds. Whatever ideas we had in our minds about the lives we would accomplish when we returned to Somalia, washed away. I was pregnant and I was scared. What do I give this child? What do I do for them? I could only really return to God. And it was your dad who reminded me that my fear was misplaced. He said, everybody is born with their fate. Everyone is born with their fate. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everybody is born with their fate. While this may not have been the fate she planned for, it was the one she had. She was determined to make it work. A year later, we got refugee status in Canada. They were forging a whole new path now, in places they hadn't even heard of. They were happy to leave Europe. It felt like while the old promises of the future were gone, here was a whole new slate. A new place to start over. We thought we could start a life in North America. So when we were accepted to Canada, we got a call that we were going to Vancouver. And I ran to the map just to figure out where is Vancouver. I didn't know. Everybody kept saying it was this beautiful place. But for me, a beautiful place would have been Toronto because that's where my family was. Anyway, we got to Canada in July. When you were about eight or nine months old, it was beautiful, like leaving Italy, 
just one bag, one child, a husband and a wife going into the world. She thought the transition would be easy. She loved to travel. She had lived independently for years, and she did it in Europe. But it turned out to be more complicated than she thought. When newcomers arrive in Canada, they're shown a whole bunch of things, like how to take the bus, how to use the library. And even though I already knew how to do all of that stuff, it all became kind of new for me again, because I was in this new place. I was in a new society, a new way, a new structure. Of course, I was afraid, but I was also experienced. I'd seen the world. But to be honest, when I think about how scared I was, I don't know how other people managed. I've lived in Somalia, Italy, now Canada, and I still had culture shock. I traveled the world, and I still had culture shock in Canada. I was in a new place, hearing a language that I didn't understand. I mean, I could live anywhere in Italy without a problem. But in Canada, things were different. And that made me think, if this was hard for me, what about the people who never left Somalia to begin with? Who never had those other experiences? What did they do? How did they feel? And I only had one child. Some cared for eight or nine. Hoya thought, if I'm going through this, and I've traveled and seen the world, what about the people who'd never left Somalia? Who didn't live in cities connected with the world like she did? Or what about the single moms with children that never left? How are they coping if she finds this a challenge? Hoya relied on any available sources to tell her about this new world that she had abruptly entered. But the reality was... Reality hit me once I started watching TV in our new home. And I became obsessed with Oprah. (laughs) Watching Oprah was like a portal to North American culture. New concepts were coming into her life, like stranger danger. What is stranger danger to a person who was raised to see the world as family? And this was amongst the many series of challenges that Hoya struggled with in those early days in Canada. The most critical was finding ways to express herself when no one sought to understand her. There was a language barrier. So after that point, that's when I really worked on improving my language skills to overcome this. There would be times when the landlord would knock, and she'd have to call up my dad to speak to him for her. Experiences like these led her to enroll in English as a second language courses. Her aim was not just to learn English to live, but to get back into her career as an architect. Hoya was trained in architecture in Florence, which is kind of like learning to code in Silicon Valley. If you're going to do it, that's the place. But in Florence in those days, they trained the old-fashioned way with pen and paper. By the time Hoya started working in Canada, the digital revolution had come to architecture. All of a sudden, she was behind in her career, too. When you're a dreamer and you show up in North America, thinking everything will be like, no, 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 no. In the first year, you're thinking, okay, I'll learn this skill, get this job, sit in an office. But I know, it's a long way to go. Hoya didn't have the money 
to take English classes and the computer software classes she needed. And the support from the government wouldn't cover both. A million layers of red tape stood between Hoya and her career. After a year of chasing credits, computer classes, and unpaid internships, she managed to get qualified again. But even professionalism looks different in Canada. And when I finished all that, I began the job hunt. You bring your resume, they teach you how to write, they teach you how to talk, they transform you into a new person. How to speak, how to dress, how to act, to make eye contact. Where I'm from, making intense eye contact means something else culturally. When she takes the English classes, learns the software, and changes her posture, the most annoying question to Hoya was easily, Do you have a Canadian experience? Give me a job so I can get a Canadian experience. Going through these experiences made Hoya and Abel depend on each other as sources of strength. Me and Qasim really supported each other. And we made an agreement that whoever recovered their careers first would be supported by the other. They cared for each other in whatever ways they could. This was critical for when my younger sister, Saredo, was born in 1995. Back home, women who had just given birth were made this special broth. It's meant to give back all those things that a mother loses in childbirth. Precious nutrients to fortify her for the time to come. Grandmothers and elder sisters would make this for the mom in a communal act of care. It was one of the things Hoya wished she had but never got when she was giving birth the first time in Italy. When we got home from the hospital, your dad went grocery shopping, and after a while he surprised me with the broth that he made just for me. To this day, when I smell broth, I remember that moment. Have you ever missed something, something you thought you'd never get, things your mom would do for you, your friends, your neighbors, that you just gave up hope on? Sometimes we get in an argument and I think, you know what, that's the man that made the broth for you. Leave him alone. Hoya said it wasn't about a broth. It was about the care that he showed in knowing it's what she would have wanted. It was about making what had once been a very lonely time feel communal again. It was about feeling seen. It's that I was seen and understood, that he asked himself, what does Shukri need? What would make her feel closer to her family? What do they do for new moms back home? The fact that I got that in my own kitchen was a mercy, to be honest. And to this day, I carry that in my spirit. What does it mean to survive something with someone? For them to carve out spaces of comfort for you in a world that has already fallen apart, and for you to do the same for them. For Hoya, this was simple. Love, caring, insurance. That you're making a life with someone. And it's not just about what he cooked. Like, we go through everything together. That's the reassurance that I got. Remember that pact Hoy and Abba made? They decided together, long in advance, that whoever got their profession first would be supported by the other. At first, 
My mom was learning English while my dad was trying to regain his license as a pilot in Canada. But it didn't go well. At the time, Hoya made do while the family was reestablished. It took time for Hoya to get established as an architect. It was seven years since the war broke out, and opportunities still seemed to elude her. Then, over the course of her career, she would work as an architect in Columbus, Ohio, and in London, Ontario, Canada, but she had still never worked in the city of her youth. My parents watched with a kind of hesitant optimism as things began to settle down somewhat in Somalia. They thought of moving back, but weren't sure. Hoya took her first trip back to Mogadishu in 2011, two whole decades after the war chased her away. She couldn't reconcile what she saw with what she remembered. But when I passed the theater, without even realizing it, I started crying. When I saw Shebele in that area of town, completely destroyed, I couldn't help but break down. An entire house that was standing before just leveled. When we left, the streets were alive in downtown Muqtisho. Now the buildings are just skeletons. I was so shocked when I saw what happened to the Shingani neighborhood, where I used to eat ice cream when I was a kid, and we used to walk around, and where my friends used to live, and what became of it. Like, there's no way to explain what that felt like. It was like burning a cloth and expecting to wear it. Can you wear it? That's my feeling. But in these ruins, and between the skeletons of buildings and streets she once called home, Hoya is uniquely trained to see something else. When she returned to Mogadishu in 2011, she didn't just come back home. She came back to take part in the construction of something new. There's a delicate irony in the fact that Hoya went abroad to learn how to construct, and then the very thing she wanted to build fell hopelessly, irrevocably, apart. The sweetness of that paradox, though, is that even as she sees rubble, she also knows that there is the chance for something else. She has been trained for this. She knows that no matter how small, there is the chance for reconstruction. I decided to stay, start up my own practice, and begin building. And after war ends, one of the first things you need is to build again. The reconstruction won't be like what she once had, sure. That Muqtisho is probably gone. But maybe she can be a part of imagining something new in its wake. The war took away the things she thought would happen. It took away the home she built in Muqtisho, which she had decorated in black and white and never got to live in. It took away the kind of ushering into motherhood she had hoped for. It stole her neighborhoods and neighbors and swallowed her city whole. For a moment, it seemed like the war had stolen away with everything. All the notions of her future looked like they slipped quickly through her fingers. But one by one, she clawed all of those things back. Our exhaustion didn't last 28 days. It lasted 28 years, because I still haven't rested. You do everything in that exhaustion. 
giving birth, raising kids. And then I came back to Somalia, and things started to come full circle. So now, nearly 40 years since she went away to study in Italy, she's finally an architect in Montdeschaux. And after three decades of marriage, she's finally living with her husband in Montdeschaux. And after a while, she got into politics to become a senator. She's working to guide the reconstruction of many things in the country she calls home. My name is Shukri Adan Ame. Shukri Adan Ame. Senator Shukri Adan Ame. Or architect Honorable Shukri Adan Ame. Whenever I return to Muqtisho, Hoya gives me a grand tour of the city. She loves to be my guide, showing me all the things that used to stand and all the places she used to go. It's our ritual. It gives us time to rehash the old and reflect on what's new, what she helped reconstruct and what should come next, what she lost and things that can't come back. She guides me through the city of her youth. And as she's guiding me, it's clear She's taken it as the city of her reclaimed adulthood, too. Thanks for listening to the last episode of this season of On Things We Left Behind with me, Surer, and my sister, Seredo. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to all the other episodes. We love them and we know you will, too. As always, this series was produced by the wonderful Lucy Hunt for Listen Entertainment and is the winner of the LaunchPod 2019 competition with Listen Entertainment and Acast. For more episodes, find us on Acast or wherever you find your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.